Frequency is for open-minded thinkers, for observers who are hopelessly curious, for experiencers of the mysterious, and for those who are passionate about perceiving the unknown. I will be sharing with you all my own exceptional experiences and other extraordinary constructs that exist in our reality. Welcome to Access Elysium. What's up and welcome to all of you beautiful souls out there. I'm your host Amber O'Dell and this is the Access Elysium podcast. And today, you know, let's just get to it. I've been trying to figure out (laughs) what I want to talk about. So many things and I have narrowed it down to this. So have you ever wondered how society would function in the future without the internet? Well, if there is a strong enough coronal mass ejection from the sun, you might just find out. So coming up on the show today, we're going to dive into what the Carrington event was, how society would plunge into the dark ages again, and how to survive without technology. (laughs) So for those of you that are in my age range, um, you know what it's like without the internet. We are like the best of both worlds. If you are in, I'm going to hear, I'm in my 40s. So if you are in your 40s, you grew up without the internet. And then you were the first to be introduced to the internet. And then you know how everything transformed from the internet. My children do not. (laughs) They do not know what it was like before all the high tech stuff. Before the internet, they were born afterwards. And I don't know if they could even fathom what it was like beforehand. Now, I don't want to be without the internet. I know what it was like beforehand. And it was beautiful. And I loved it. Um, Very simple. Uh, But no. I love my internet. I love being able to connect with people all over the world. I like to have instant knowledge at my fingertips. I feel like this is sometimes what maybe the ancients spoke of as being, oh, I don't know, knowledge of the gods. We, I can talk to someone in Germany right now and they could explain something that is mind-boggling, high-tech, uh, that nobody could ever fathom doing at my fingertips. And what if all of that went away? Okay, so the good thing is it's still here right now. But the bad thing is, oh, it's it's very, very possible. So what the fuck is the Carrington event? Well, the Carrington event was the most intense geomagnetic storm in recorded history. Now, I say recorded history, and before when I've talked about recorded history, even recorded history isn't really recorded very well. (laughs) So it's within the recent modern recorded history. But on September 1st of 1859 is when this happened. It created strong auroral displays that were reported globally and caused sparking and even fires in multiple telegraph stations. Yeah, 
telegraph station. So 1859, think about that. The highest technology that they had at the time was telegraphs. And when this happened, it caused a huge disruption in their communications. The geomagnetic storm is thought to have been initiated by a major CME, which stands for coronal mass ejection that traveled directly toward Earth from the sun. It took about 17.6 hours to make a 90 million mile journey between the sun and the earth, and it unleashed its force on our planet. So typical CMEs take several days to arrive to earth, but this one only took 17.6 hours. It was booking it. (laughs) And it's believed that the relatively high speed of this CME was made possible by a prior CME that caused the large Aurora event on August 29th that cleared the way for the Carrington event. So we're talking like back-to-back CMEs, that first one, like plowed a pathway for the second one to come through. So Auroras were seen around the world, those in the Northern Hemisphere as far south as the Caribbean. The Aurora over the Rocky Mountains in the United States was so bright that the glow woke gold miners who began preparing breakfast because they thought it was morning time. People in northeastern United States could read a newspaper by the Aurora's light. Low latitude areas such as South Central Mexico, Cuba, Hawaii, Southern Japan, and China, these are places that do not see Aurora's like that. Like, this was a little a little out of place for these auroras. I mean, even as low as Colombia. So let's kind of dig into what actually happened. So in August of 1859, astronomers around the world watched with fascination as the number of sunspots on the solar disk grew. Among them was Richard Carrington, an amateur sky watcher in the small town called Red Hill near London in England. So on September 1st, as Carrington was sketching the sunspots, he was blinded by a sudden flash of light. Carrington described it as a white light flare. And the whole event only lasted five minutes. So the flare was a major coronal mass ejection. A burst of magnetized plasma from the sun's upper atmosphere, the corona. The day after Carrington observed the impressive flare, Earth experienced an unprecedented geometric storm, with telegraph systems going haywire and auroral displays normally confined to just the polar latitudes were visible in the tropics. So Carrington put two and two together and realized that the solar flare he'd seen was most certainly the cause of this massive geomagnetic disturbance. This was a connection that had never previously been made. The solar storm of 1859 is now known as the Carrington event in his honor. So the origins of space weather, that's what we're going to call it. CMEs is a part of space weather. I don't, I guess I'm not like totally familiar with all the kinds of space weather, you know, since I live on Earth and all. (laughs) But I can only imagine there's a lot of stuff happening in space. 
But the origins of this can be traced to contortions in the sun's magnetic field, leading to dark blotches or sunspots on its surface, according to NASA. So this is how we can tell if one of these um, solar flares is going to happen. So from these spots that solar flares and coronal mass ejections and other electromagnetic phenomena can emerge with potentially hazardous consequences for our technological way of life, which means eh, it's going to fuck up all our technology. So sunspot activity rises and falls on the 11-year cycle that we are currently approaching into. <laughs> it's coming up here with the solar maximum in 2025. So now is a good time <laughs> to kind of prepare for the worst solar storms that are going to be happening. So while solar storms rarely pose like a direct threat to humans, like it's not going to hurt us, our bodies or things like that, it's a huge risk that can impact critical systems that like electromagnetic fields are going to come in and fuck all that shit up. So from space-based communications to navigation to weather forecasting services to electrical power distribution on the ground level, it's going to mess with all of our satellites. It's it's going to mess with our internet. <laughs> oh, no. It has been predicted that a storm on the scale of the Carrington event, if it happened today could cause an internet apocalypse, sending large numbers of people and businesses and all you TikTokers offline. <laughs> For this reason, the UK government lists adverse space weather as one of the most serious natural hazards in its national risk register. And companies have contingency plans to deal with severe events as long as they have sufficient warning of them. So researchers from Lloyd's of London and Environmental Research Agency in the U.S. have estimated that a Carrington-class event today would result in around $2.6 trillion in damages to the U.S. alone. So what are we really talking about here? Like, how would a Carrington event affect us today? So... A solar storm of that magnitude would absolutely have significant effects on modern technology and society. I mean, the primary concern is that the potential damage to power grids and other electrical infrastructures would be... Oh, astronomical. A solar storm of this magnitude could cause widespread power outages, disrupt communication systems, and probably destroy satellites and other equipment. It could destroy transformers in our power grids, causing all of these long-lasting power outages. I mean, we're talking like this could lead to cascading failures as one damaged transformer can cause problems in other parts of the grid and just a domino effect. And disruptions to power and communication systems would it's like all of our critical infrastructure systems like transportation systems healthcare hospitals financing banking all your online banking uh -uh. no all anything online think about this there's no more phoning calling texting emailing anybody like it's going to disrupt our entire society so it's important to note that you know, while the Carrington event was a unique event, 
Potentials for solar storms like it still exist today, and it's very important for our society to be prepared for such an event. Like, I don't know how prepared we are. Like, I feel like we, that should be pretty important stuff to try to prepare for, but how, how do we prepare for that? Like, I know I've looked into certain things where if you have, um, oh, like Faraday cages and certain types of, um, structures that you could put electronics inside of that would shield it from electromagnetic, um, disruptions but how do you do that to an entire power grid uh, I don't know <laughs> I mean I hope somebody else knows <laughs> because what the fuck is gonna go on when that happens I mean how long would it take us to recover from that well recovering from a Carrington event would likely be so complex and so challenging um, the time required to recover would depend on, you know, how much things were damaged and what things need to be replaced or completely rebuilt. But more than likely, it would take multiple years to fix something on that kind of a scale. I mean, it would, for us to have restored power to affected areas. I mean, we might not even be able to repair certain damages. Like what, where are all the parts going to come from? Like are the availability of these spare parts like available here just in the U.S.? Is this one of those things where, oh, the supply chain, (laughs) like there's a shortage. Yeah, there's going to be a huge shortage on replacing transformers and power grid parts and just it far exceeds the available supply that I think that we have to just be able to be like, oh, hold on a second. Let me call. Let me call Jim's Electronics. And <laughs> I don't think it's going to be that easy to fix our entire infrastructure. So, oh man, how prepared is our society for this? I know that some steps have been taken to increase the resilience of our power grids and other critical infrastructures to solar storms, like developments of early warning systems. So, for example, power grid operators have developed procedures to protect power systems from solar storms and have implemented measures to reduce the risk of cascading failures. But is an early warning system actually going to protect us? Like, is this just, can we just shut it down? And like, (laughs) I don't know how to protect it from electromagnetic waves that are coming in. Um, Overall, some steps have been taken, but... It's likely society would not be fully prepared for another Carrington event. So how does an individual family prepare for a Carrington event? Uh, Okay, so I'm just going to give you an example, and it's going to sound like a fucking apocalypse, (laughs) because that might be exactly what's happening here. Okay, so astronomers see that there are high probabilities of solar flares because they can see these sunspots happening on the sun. So everybody's high watch because it's close to 2025. And all of a sudden, they see a huge CME or coronal mass ejection coming out of the sun. And it is directly aligned and headed towards Earth. If we if it's like the Carrington event that was zooming like on speed a thousand uh, on speed nine million miles per hour actually. <laughs> 
is going to get here in close to 17 or 18 hours. How do you prepare in 17 and 18 hours? Um, Worst case scenario, it takes a couple days. That's not even very long. Couple days. Ready, set, go. Okay. So what's going to happen is within these 17 to couple days, this thing is going to rush and approach and hit earth. Now, we probably won't feel it like hitting us like a bomb or anything like that, but all of our electronics will. So the internet, the satellites in the sky is the first thing that's going to get affected by it. It's the first thing out there in space before it approaches Earth and the ground level. So our internet is going to go down. Our availability to get on anything online. So your phone is not going to work immediately. You can't just get onto the weather channel and see what's happening. You can't check your bank accounts anymore. You can't call your friends or your kids. You have no communications. Satellites equals communication. Communication down. No more communicating. Um, when it reaches ground level and it hits our infrastructure, our electricity is going to go down. So we no longer have electricity. Now, this is worst case scenario, people. I'm <laughs> I don't know 100% if any or all of this could happen, but more than likely if it's the big one like the Carrington, this is how it'll go down. Um with no electricity, and think about this as well. Everybody's got smart cars now. So if you have any kind of car built after what, 1980 something, um, maybe into the 90s a little bit, definitely 2000s and on, your car's not going to work either. Uh, it's a computer. <laughs> car's not starting. So you have no communications, you have no electricity, you have no transportation. Um, it's going to get dark and nobody's going to know what the fuck's going on. Now, I can't imagine if this happened in the middle of the night when everybody's sleeping. It depends on where you are on this planet for that to be happening somewhere. It's going to be light. Um, but the auroras in the sky are going to be a very big indicator of what is going on. If you are anywhere other than where you should be seeing an aurora and you see these beautiful auroras in the sky and they usually look very green, um, beautiful dancing lights in the sky. Just know that is a very good indicator of what is going on. So now you are very dependent on only what you have and what is around you. You can't run to the bank and pull out money to go to the grocery store and stock up. The grocery store is not going to have registers that are going to be able to check you out anyways. All of the electricity is out. So anything in the freezers or the refrigerators is going to go bad within eight to 10 hours. So if you can even get to the grocery store on your bicycle, because that's what you're going to need, how are you going to stock up on the things that are really necessary and bring them back to your home? You are going to be dependent on what is in your home. So planning for an emergency like this, like if you're any kind of prepper or somebody who likes to stock up and have a good supply for your family, you're going to have an advantage here. Um, an emergency supply kit of some kind is going to be great. Like make sure that if you have a power, it's like thinking of a power outage. 
or disruption of any kind, you should have non-perishable items, uh, food, water source, uh, manual can openers, flashlights, batteries, like a hand crank radio, a first aid kit, all of those kinds of things. Very, very necessary to have without any kind of a Carrington event. Like make sure that you can survive for at least, if you're a single person, three months. Um, If you're a family, it's better to have six months supply. Um, But if you are living paycheck to paycheck and you only have a few things in your cupboard because you just like to eat out all the time, you are fucked. Oh no. (laughs) Like, and so... A backup power source would be really great, um, like generators and stuff, but how long is that going to work? Like, you have to have fuel to run your generator. How much fuel can you have on hand before you go through it? I mean, I don't know how long a generator runs, a gasoline generator. I should probably look into that. Um, but let's just say you have enough to run your generator for five days. So you can keep your, you know, electricity on and your refrigerators up. If it's in the middle of the summer, maybe you can have your air conditioner on for five days or your freezer. Um, Or if it's in the winter, your heat can be on and you can cook things on your stove. But after five days, you're you're just the same as everybody else. Um, I don't know if maybe solar generators would be better, but... What happens when this electromagnetic pulse hits all these things? Do you have to have all these things inside of a Faraday cage or something that's going to protect them from all of these solar flares? Like, do you have to have a giant, <laughs> like, solar bag to wrap around this stuff? Oh my gosh, I don't know. So, communication is going to be really, really hard and really scary for everybody. That's going to be the biggest thing that's going to affect everyone. You can no longer talk to anybody unless they're standing next to you or you write a letter and you take it to somebody. <laughs> like communications are down. You need to have a plan for your family of how to stay in touch and reunite if you're separated. Like have emergency spots. Obviously come home. Home is like home base. Yeah, you want to get home. But if you can't get home, you need to have other places that are like your number two and your number three locations that you can look for your family. That if you're closest to this location, come to it. And if you are not home within, I don't know, 24, 48 hours, we check location B and we check location C for you. You need to have a plan to stay in touch and reunite with your family if you're separated because you don't have a phone or a texting. Like my my children text me from their bedrooms when they need something. What? We're going to have to come out and talk to each other. (laughs) But if you also have critical equipment, like if you rely on electricity for a medical device or, oh my God, my husband with his CPAP, you mean I have to listen to him snore forever now? Oh, no. (laughs) No, no. We might have to sleep in separate rooms after that because I used to want to hit him in the face with a shovel at night. (laughs) That CPAP is why we're still married. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously. Um, those kinds of things are scary because if you're very dependent on that, man, there's no more electricity unless you can come up with an alternative way to produce electricity. There are very creative ways and things out there that you can do. Um, but being informed and staying informed is another thing. You, 
I know people want to be like, oh, when there's an apocalypse, end of the world, everybody's, you know, going to run wild and crazy and they're going to come for your things and you have to stay away from all the other humans. Eh, I mean, yeah, maybe at the very beginning, unless you have a good community that you can form really quickly because you're going to need a community of people to help each other. Sorry, people, you can't just run away from everyone. I mean, you can have a system as to who's in your community and how you're going to help each other, but you're gonna need other people. You can't do it all by yourself. Creating that emergency plan is very important because no more electricity, no more driving, no more grocery stores, no more pumping gas, no more driving cars. Holy fuck. It's only going to be what some people might only have a week's worth of food in their house. Um, some people have a few days. Some people have a few months worth. When you run out of food, what are people going to do? Oh, my gosh. They're going to start looting. They're going to get crazy. How are people even going to get to the power grids to fix them if we don't have vehicles that can run? Now, I know that there are very smart individuals out there who can help to create um things that aren't high tech. We still understand technology at a very basic level. We haven't advanced so much that we're aliens that are traveling the stars and all we have to do is put our magic cloaks on and our magic body suits and we can portal jump everywhere. We we know <laughs> how to do basic use basic tools. Maybe our the generation of our children aren't very aware of it cuz think about it. Everybody has high tech. I have a phone that does fucking amazing things. Do I know how to build that phone? Uh, no, I do not. I know how to use it. I know how it functions. I don't know how to build it. And I don't know how to create it from scratch. We need those people, the create it from scratch people to help us to rebuild. Because otherwise, how are we going to fix all the infrastructure? This is how we go back into the dark ages. Now, some people will make it and some people will not. But to make it, then you got to start thinking, what is the best occupation or business plan for someone to thrive after an apocalyptic event like the Carrington event? Well, the best occupation for someone to thrive would depend on several factors, including the specific nature of the event. So the state of the economy and the infrastructure and the needs and the demands of the community are very important after something like this for you to think about. But a few examples that might be well suited to thrive in the aftermath of an apocalyptic event is farming and food production. Absolutely. In the aftermath of food is going to be in short supply. You most people do not grow their own food. I don't know very many people that do. I was excited when my husband started growing a tomato plant. And that's all we got. <laughs> and it's not going to feed the whole family. Um, it's just little baby tomatoes. So Food and farming is going to be very, very top of the list important to have a viable skill to be able to produce food for people and to teach other people and to get it into a state that it's thriving. I mean, for one, you can't just grow a bunch of food in three days for people. There's a, a process and a, and a time length and a term that plants have to grow into before it can produce food. Like this could take a little bit. Um, we need patient farmers. <laughs> farmers are so important. People don't realize that. I feel like farmers should be the millionaires, you know, and because they're the ones keeping us all alive. But 
medical services. This is another very important thing to have after some kind of a Carrington event. People who can deal with injuries and illnesses in the aftermath of an event like this, um, medical services, first aid, nursing, emergency medicine, very, very valuable. People who know the knowledge of this or that are going to be able to produce medicine from natural sources is going to be very, very important. We're going to go back to, oh, all of the fun wizardry and witch potions that we can make. And because hello, people, that's where medicine came from. And all all medicine derives from natural plants and resources to begin with. So we're going to have to go back to that to be able to help each other. Construction and repair. Oh, man, people are going to this is going to be so important. Um, Buildings, infrastructures that are damaged or destroyed. These people that are going to be able to repair and fix things for others are going to be very, very important. If you have those skills, you're going to be able to help thrive in a community. Um, power and energy. Oh, here we go. People are going to be just, oh, so excited if there's any kind of power or energy that's going to be able to be reproduced. Um, when things are damaged from this, if somebody can repair it, maintain it, or create new power generators, solar panels, and other forms of alternative energy, that is going to be in high, high demand because nobody's going to have refrigerators that work. Uh, how are you going to keep your food? People don't understand. You're going to have to go back to root cellars and you're going to have to go back to natural ways of producing food. And we're not going to be able to hold on to food for like months at a time in a freezer. No, we're going to have to readjust and realize that we're going to have to eat food on a daily basis and see what we can produce on that day. But then when it comes to meats, a whole different story, a whole different ballgame. Oh my gosh. But communications, this is also a very important thing for people to understand and be able to do after an event like this. So people that need to rely on alternative forms of communication like ham radios, someone who has knowledge and skill to maintain communication systems is going to be highly valuable. So somebody who can put together a communication system, who has ham radios, who can communicate with people across the states, across the ocean, across the world. When we get back to that, that's going to be very important to understand what everybody is doing, what other people are doing to help thrive and survive, how other people are fixing the situations when there's any kind of danger or things that we need to know about. We need someone who's going to be good in communications. Security and protection. Yep. Uh, in the aftermath, security and protection is going to be a big concern. Um, so making skills or having people that have skills in self-defense, firearms, um, people who are peacemakers, very highly important. Keeping the peace in peaceful ways calm, collect security is going to be very, very valuable to be able to have a community that can thrive again. We don't realize the just how vulnerable the machine of our society really is. There's so many pieces to the machine of society that we've built that when one comes crumbling down, oh, domino effect. But bartering and trading, it's going to be very important as well in a post-apocalyptic scenario because money is not probably going to be valuable. Like, what is what, what is that going to do for you? Ah, you can't eat it. You can't use it for electricity. You can't communicate with it. There's going to be lots of things that you are going to be able to barter and trade with. Um, 
trades goods and services are going to be in high demand. Somebody who creates an uh, an atmosphere or like a trading center is going to be very important too, where people can come together, like in the central downtown areas is probably where, you know, this is how we did this in the beginning with no internet. <laughs> and it's going to probably happen at some point in time. Um, every empire shall fall. And we're going to have to know how to thrive and survive without it. Um, survival skills is going to be very important. So the knowledge of hunting, fishing, wilderness survival, this is very, very important. The elements of earth, mother earth is unforgiving. She does not care what you think. She's going to do her own thing because guess what? Planet Earth is a living entity. She is a living conscious being that does her own thing. And we just hang out on the skin of her surface. (laughs) So we have to learn how to ebb and flow with Mother Nature. And solar flares are a part of not necessarily Mother Nature, but um, the natural world in the cosmos. So we need to be a little prepared for this. So other than the Carrington event, there have been other solar flare events. So the last significant solar flare occurred in June of 2021 that was classified as an X-class solar flare. It was the strongest solar flare of the current solar cycle. This flare was also accompanied by a coronal mass ejection, which caused a minor geometric storm on Earth. It's worth noting that solar flares and coronal mass ejections are common events on the sun. However, significant flares have the potential to cause the major disruptions. The most powerful solar flares, known as X-class flares, occur about once or twice a year on average. The most recent significant solar flare before the one on June in 2021 was September 6, 2017, which was also an X-class solar flare, and it was also accompanied by a coronal mass ejection, which caused a minor geometric storm on Earth. So, these are not uncommon. (laughs) We just had one. And 2025 is when the 11 year solar cycle of high solar activity is going to be approaching. So how large were these last solar flares? Well, there's like a lot of ways to express the energy that was released on these and I don't quite understand it. Man, I'm trying to read this and I'm like, I don't even know how to. <laughs> like they they were pretty significant. Um, there's been a lot of them that have been ejected from the sun and they weren't directed towards Earth. So it the the biggest issue is when it does come directly at Earth. There's a lot of different directions it can go other than Earth, but man, when it comes our way, we we better be prepared. So would an X-class flare affect the entire planet or just a direct hit location is kind of my question here. So solar flares caused by intense magnetic activity on the sun can release a tremendous amount of energy and it will affect the entire earth, not just the location that it hits. Because it's not just the location that's the direct hit, because the earth's magnetic field can channel the solar wind and associated magnetic fields to the poles where it can cause auroras and other effects. It's going to move it around the planet once it gets inside our atmosphere. So 
Due to the release of electromagnetic radiation, high energy particles and a coronal mass ejection is going to cause all kinds of stuff everywhere. Not, it's not like a bullet. <laughs> I mean, it is like a bullet. <laughs> but once it gets here, it's going to spread. So I decided to get on to um, the new AI chat GPT and ask some questions about, you know, things that we can do and prepare for for an X class solar flare. So this is what the AI told me. How I asked, how can one protect their electronics from an X class solar flare? And they said there's several steps individuals can take to protect their electronics. So one, unplug or turn off electronic devices. If a solar flare is predicted, we have that early warning system that's telling us. So unplug or turn off electronic devices that are not in use. This can protect them from power surges caused by the solar flare. So if a power surge comes through the power grid and it, you're not plugged into it, it's not going to affect your appliances or your electronics. Um, it is when you are plugged into them that that power surge is going to be like, oh, yes, what? you're done. Um, use surge protectors. Okay, I get it. Yeah, like everybody should be doing that anyways. <laughs> um, keep electronic devices away from windows. Really? Wow. So it says keep electronic devices away from windows as the electromagnetic radiation from a solar flare can damage them. Like just in the window? The fuck? <laughs> I don't know about that, but I'm going to look into that more. Um, have backup power supply. Obviously, we've talked about that. Um, and be aware of alerts. How? Okay, so... Be aware of alerts issued by space weather forecasting agencies, such as NOAA's Space Weather Prediction Center or the European Space Weather Portal. Hmm, I'm going to look into these because since we are coming up on the 11-year high cycle of solar activity, maybe it would be very interesting to kind of look into those and kind of keep watch on what's going on. Yeah. So... I started thinking, and here's where my weird ass mind goes. <laughs> so if if we can't, there's nothing we can do to stop solar flares. Like this is a natural part of um, existing in the, this realm, in this, you know, universe. So how can we benefit from it instead of letting it debilitate us? So could we possibly learn to harness the energy from a solar flare? Like... This would be amazing. So the energy released by a solar flare is enormous. And scientists have long been interested in the possibility of harnessing this energy for practical use. However, the technical challenges of harnessing the energy from a solar flare are significant. Like, wow, how do we do that? And there's currently no practical way to do so. Um, solar flares release energy in the form of electromagnetic radiation, primarily in the form of X-rays and ultraviolet light. This energy is not easily captured or stored, and it would be difficult to convert it into a usable form of energy. One potential way to harness the energy from a solar flare is through the use of solar flares as a source of high-energy particles. These particles could be used to drive nuclear fusion reactions, which would be potential source of clean, sustainable energy. However, this technology is still in the early stages of development, and it is not clear if it will ever be practical. So another possibility is the use of magnetic shield in space, which would protect the Earth from the coronal mass ejections associated with the solar flares. But it's still too early to tell if any of this technology is even feasible. Like, yeah, let's just put a shield up, block it, like, ba -ching, ba -ching, like ricochet, I don't know, in, 
So in summary, while the idea of harnessing the energy from a solar flare is intriguing, it's currently not even possible to do so. But see, this is what I think. I think anything is possible. If we decided that our main focus was to figure out how to harness the energy from a coronal mass ejection and solar flares, I feel like humans could figure it out. I feel like we would be able to understand and find the underlying physics of it to develop new technologies and to harness this energy. How cool would that be if we had the technology to harness solar flares? Yikes! And then I start thinking, well, what about all the other fucking suns in the universe? What? How far is the next closest sun to us? And can its solar flares affect us? Like, is it just our sun that we need to be afraid of? There's lots of fucking suns out there. What if the other suns can get us too? But the nearest star to our solar system is Proxima Centaura. Centura? Fuck me. Proxima Centaura. Centura? Fuck me. <laughs> So this sun is about 4.2 light years away from Earth. That doesn't seem like very far. I mean, light years are far away, but that seems pretty close. So Proxima Centauri is a red dwarf, which is a type of small, cool, and relatively low mass star. So it does have flares, but they're much less intense than the one of our sun. And it's not likely to have a significant effect on Earth because the distance between us is great enough and it doesn't have the intense ones that we do. So we probably don't have to worry about that sun. But man, like what are the other things coming at us in space that we need to be worried about? Yikes. Okay. Sometimes space is so interesting to me. I, I want to think that we know what we're talking about when it comes to space, but sometimes I'm like, <laughs> how do we know any of that to be true? Like, are we really flying uh, whatever, how many hundreds of thousands of miles fast through space? Like we're just traveling at the speed of I can't even comprehend through space, but it doesn't really feel like I'm traveling that fast. Like sometimes I wonder... If this is all just a dream, it's just a wonderful, beautiful dream. Because <laughs> how could we possibly know all that for sure? Like, and it's if it if we are traveling at the speed of whatever, just times a hundred million times that we can't comprehend through space. So are all the other planets next to us, and so are all the other stars next to us. So it's not like we're actually really moving. Because everything else is moving with us exactly the same speed. So interesting. Sometimes I'm like, yes. And sometimes I'm like, what? I don't know about that. But I'm not a fucking scientist of the stars. And I've never been to space. And very few people have been to space. And those that have have a completely outlook on life. I would love to be an individual like that, but I can't even get on a roller coaster anymore because <laughs> of uh, vertigo and just being motion sickness. Oh my gosh, I'd be the worst. If we could just have a portal. Where's the portals? Like, seriously, then we got to get these portals going so that I can just boop, hop out to wherever I need to be without having to actually travel through space, just bending space. <sighs> I love the little rant that I went on here. <laughs> 
But a Carrington event of the magnitude that happened in 1859, man. So just to know that all we had then for high tech was telegraphs and they started sparking and catching flame and exploding and all of our communications frizzled and had serious issues then. I can't imagine what kind of craziness a Carrington event like that would do to us now. And sometimes I just want to be like, I'm just so thankful for where I am right now on this planet, in this body, at this time and you know, in space with all my friends, with all my family, you know, just having the time of our life <laughs> because you never know when a Carrington event will take away our internet and change everything forever. <sighs> well, I'm hoping that doesn't happen anytime soon because then I wouldn't be able to hang out with you guys. But until then, I'm so glad you're here and I can't wait to see you and talk more on the next Access Elysium podcast.